Thank you, Randy. If you've got your Bibles, you want to grab a Bible, John chapter 8 is where we're going to start this morning. Good morning. Welcome to everybody, everybody that's joining us through YouTube. Welcome. My name is Tom Vanderwell, and uh, we're in a series here in the month of August called What Can You Do? And the whole idea is, is people wonder, well, what is it that I can do uh, to put my faith into action? What opportunities are there for me to grow as a believer? So we're, we're addressing those things in the month of August, and today we're going to talk a little bit about discipleship. Now, I want to start the message this morning with one of the most famous statements that Jesus ever made. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's John 8, verse 32. Now I put that into a computer search this week and I just looked at what came up. And oh man, it's everywhere. This statement is etched in granite on college campuses. It is in government buildings. It is, it's on, it's on every kind of trinket you can buy. You can get a t-shirt with it, you can get a coffee cup with it, get a Frisbee with it, because you know, you want that on your Frisbee, right? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I bet that there are a lot of people who don't even know the source of that quote, but they've heard that quote a million times. But here's the thing, it is almost always taken out of context. Because if you look at John 8, 32, it says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, this is a back end of an if-then statement. So look, look at the whole thing together. 31, to the Jews that had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my, what? Disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I want you to notice something here. To the Jews that he spoke these words, they believed. They were believers. But Jesus wanted them to know, you may believe, but you're not my disciples. If you want to be my disciples, you need to hold to my teaching. Now that word hold there in the Greek is miro. And that word has, means to abide to live in, to be one with, to remain in. When Jesus said in John chapter 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask anything and it will be done for you. Same word, miro. If you remain, if you hold to, if you abide. So the idea was that Jesus' words and his teaching, if you remain in them. If you remain in him and you put them to practice, then you are my disciples. And only then will you know the truth and experience the freedom that it brings. 
as I look back on 40 years of being a disciple of Christ, and remember, this is what Kevin, heard Kevin over the last couple of months, he's been asking us, let's not, let's not say that we're Christians, because who knows, that's got connotation all over the world. Do you know that, do you know there are people on social media that are calling for all the Christians to be rounded up and killed because they think that Christi, Christians are the evil in the world that are creating all the problems in the world? Christian has all sorts of connotations to it. Jesus asked us to be disciples. Go into whole, all the world, it says in Matthew chapter 28, and make what? Disciples of all nations. He didn't call to make believers of all nations. He wanted disciples of all nations. And in the 40 years that I have been a disciple of Christ, one of the things that I have seen true in every church that I have ever attended, that the church is focused on making believers. We wanna find non-believers, share with them the word of Christ, and have them become believers. And once they become believers, Job done, now we go find more non-believers. But Jesus never said, go make believers. He said, go make disciples. And there's a difference. Now, let me give you a little bit of what I consider be the difference. See, when I was 15, about 12, 13, I'll share you with a little bit of my story. I was 12 or 13, I had been growing up in the church. I'd gone to Sunday school, vacation Bible school, whole thing. Went to confirmation class. At the end of confirmation class, I learned all these things about the church. I signed a little statement that I was gonna be, I believed all these things. And so I signed the form that I believed all these things. They gave me a membership certificate and a box of offering envelopes because those always go together, right? <laughs> and now I'm a believer. And I'm done. And I was a believer. I believed. I signed the statement. But then almost a year later, I had an experience in which I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And I said, Lord, I want you. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life and I am going to live my life for you, and wherever you lead me, I will follow, and for all the days of my life, I want to follow you, be like you, and I want you to be my Lord. And that moment, I was indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and my life changed. Now, a couple of things happened within a year of that experience. One is, I had a mentor, actually was my boss in an after-school job, and he, he asked me if, he, if I would like to be discipled. And I didn't know what that meant, but I'm like going, yeah, I mean, I want, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. So for two years, every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., we'd meet in his office. And he shared with me what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Now, right as that was happening, my youth pastor at church, his name is Andy Bales. Andy's awesome, awesome youth pastor. He's now... Uh, CEO of Union Rescue Mission in Los Angeles on Skid Row, working with the homeless in Skid Row. But back in the day, Andy, see, he, he believed God's word. He believed this was true. And so he taught us as his youth, he said, when 
Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but in your faith, your life, your purity, make yourself an example to all who believe. So he had this wild idea. He took four of us and he said, we're gonna do a two-year discipleship program, process. But you, the four of us in the youth group, you are gonna be leaders and it's going to be open to other kids in the youth group and their parents. So part of the deal is your parents have to do this with you. So we went to a three day uh, weekend intensive training and here's these 14, 15, 16 year old kids and all these adults. And we were trained to be leaders. So we came home and for two years, every Wednesday night, I helped disciple my parents. Isn't that crazy? But see, one of the things that happened in part of that process is I learned that, that if I am going to be a disciple and am I going to disciple others, there's a certain responsibility that I have in that. So as I look back on 40 years of being a disciple of Christ, and I look back to what it looked like when I was a believer before, there's some differences, and I'd like to ponder this week. I wrote this down. By the way, uh, if you're a note taker or a journaler like Wendy is, she goes, man, this is way too much for anybody to write down. So if you would like a copy of this, tomvanderwell at gmail.com. Hook me up on Facebook, and I'll be happy to send this to you if you'd like a copy of it. Here we go. A believer makes a mental agreement that Jesus is who he said he was, and that the teaching of Jesus and the New Testament are true and worthwhile. A disciple makes a lifelong decision to willingly and obediently think, speak, and act in accordance with those teachings of Jesus and the New Testament. A believer goes to church on Sunday, at least occasionally, because it's expected. A disciple desires to regularly worship God and make meaningful relational life connections with other believers. A believer brings their Bible to church to follow along with the preacher. And besides, it kind of looks good when I'm carrying it in. A disciple devours the Bible continuously as spiritual nourishment and life sustenance. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but on what? Every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You eat it spiritually, just like we eat food physically. A believer prays in church on Sunday, says the Lord's Prayer along with Randy, prays over meals most of the time, except sometimes it's a little awkward in public, prays in times of need for sure. A disciple acknowledges Holy Spirit's indwelling and God's ever presence making every moment of every day an ongoing conversation with God. As Keith Green used to sing, make my life a prayer to you. A believer fellowships on Sunday mornings before and after church with other believers. A disciple lives every day 
life growing in intimate relationships with fellow disciples, loving one another, confessing their sins to one another, forgiving one another, admonishing one another, building each other up, bearing one another's burdens, being generous one another, and being compassionate, comforting one another. A believer seeks assurance that after they die, they'll go to heaven. A disciple seeks to die to self every day in order that they might be a citizen and ambassador of heaven on earth. A believer excuses their lack of knowledge, their lack of education, their lack of training, their lack of standing. They're, they're not really that good. I'm not holy. I'm not pure. I'm not really godly. In order to justify that, we'll just leave the work of the ministry to the professional staff at Third Church. A disciple receives God's grace, forgiveness, and indwelling, translating it into an embrace of the spiritual reality that I, along with every other disciple of Christ, am a minister of the gospel of Christ at every moment of every day, no matter my age, my gender, my education, my ability, my sinfulness, or my past failures. A believer gives God a place in their life. A disciple surrenders their life to God just as God surrendered the life of his son for me. A believer comes to the bricks and mortar church or joins it on YouTube in order to pay God a visit. A disciple is the flesh and blood church of Christ taking God's love and presence to every person with whom they visit every day. Do you believe God? Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, the Jews did, but that's not what Jesus wanted. He wanted them to be his disciples. In fact, James said, do you believe in God? Great, even the demons do that. So if you believe in Christ, if you're signed on the dotted line that you affirm, believe that this is true, you're right there with the demons. The real question is, will you be his disciple? Because that's what he asked. Now, as I was being discipled and discipling my parents, going through that, which was to this day is kind of a weird thing, it's kind of cool. I learned that there are four foundations of discipleship. So I want to share these with you this morning. The four foundations of discipleship are these. God's word, prayer, intimate Christian community. Back in the day, we used to call it fellowship. But that's got all sorts of connotations too. So I call it this, intimate Christian community. And four, being a living witness. These are the four things. Now, as I have journeyed, so I started my, my at 44, or at 14, I was, uh, became a disciple of Christ, surrendered my life to Christ. So now I'm 57, right? So I'm over 40 years I've been walking as a disciple of Christ. And all along the way, these four things are the foundation. Now they changed over time. 
what I, how I study, the things I get out of God's word and the way I approach God's word, some of it's the same, but some of it's different. Prayer, I've learned so much about prayer, it looks different than it did when I was 14. I understand fellowship differently than I did at 14. But the, the foundations are all the same. So I'd like to look at each of these real quickly, individually. And here's where, put it this way, follow along with me. A believer, a believer is motivated by expectation. So they act out of what is expected of them. And at the end of that act, it's really a fear of what other people will see and think of them. So that fear leads back to <laughs> the expectation, which means I'm acting out of fear because out of that fear, I would be ashamed if I am caught not acting in the expectations. You follow me? That's why we went to church when I was a kid. Because it's expected. And if we're not to church, what are people gonna say about us? Anybody, parents, like going, oh, you better, <laughs> you better behave because I don't want other people thinking about I'm a bad parent. That's all expectation out of fear and shame. A disciple is stirred by a desire for Christ. Paul said to the Romans, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Jesus gave his life for me. I desire to live for him. And out of that desire, I act out of what he tells me to do. And as I do that action, I grow. I have experienced joy. I experience the freedom of his truth. And that what? It stirs more desire. And now I'm back here and for 40 plus years. The desire keeps prompting action, which then stirs the desire and keeps me prompted to act again and keep going and keep going. So are you a believer or are you a disciple? Four foundations. The first one is God's word. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but on it you must meditate, ponder, think about day and night so that be careful to do according to all that is written in it because then your way will be prosperous and you'll have good success. Do you know that's the only place in the Bible that it says anything about success? And it comes out of God's word. Again, it's not to be read, it's to be devoured. Now, why didn't we go to Joshua 1.8 so I could read that to you from the text? Because back when I was 14, and my mentor decided, do you want to be discipled? The first lesson was memorize Joshua 1.8. I was 14. I'm 57. I still know it by heart. Why? Because it becomes part of me. I just want to read the Bible. I just want to know about it. I want it to be part of me. Prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. If you've never memorized scripture, this is a great one to start with. Because here it is. Pray continuously. There you go. Pray without ceasing. What do you mean pray without ceasing? We just pray at different moments. Well, it's like I said 
in my little comparison a minute ago. When the Holy Spirit indwelt me, Holy Spirit is here all times, always. He never leave me, he'll never forsake me. And I believe in a God that is omnipresent. In other words, there's nowhere, Psalms 139 says, that I can go to hide from his spirit. If I go to the, the, go to the heavens, he's there. If I go to hell, he's there. What, he's in hell? Yep, he's there too. No matter where I go, he's there. So, no matter where I am, he is with me. In fact, he is in me. So as I live in the acknowledgement and understanding of his presence, my life becomes an ongoing conversation with him. I pray when I'm in the car. Why? Because he's there. I pray when I'm mowing the lawn. Why? Because he's there. I, wherever I am, I'm praying. Wendy will tell you, Tom lives in his head most of the time. And I do. I'm always living in my head. But God's in my head with me. He's in my heart with me. And I'm constantly in conversation. It's part of being a disciple. Prayer, different, you know, Steph and her team, prayer team, they can teach us a million different ways of prayer. When I was 14 and became a disciple, I thought prayer was just when I go to my room alone and I get on my knees and I have, a, you know, I have this conversation with God or when I, before bed, I close my eyes and I have this conversation with God. Since then, I've learned about, and Steph and her team taught me about breathing prayer. Every time I take a breath, I breathe in, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And every time I exhale, who was and is and is to come, the whole earth is full of his glory. <gasps> holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come, his whole earth. Every breath can be a prayer. So prayer becomes a part of this ongoing experience and conversation with God. Third, intimate Christian community. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love, because that's what Jesus said, love the Lord your God and love the neighbors yourself. How do we stimulate each other to love and good actions, good deeds, doing the right things? Not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as the day draws near. We need to be in community with other disciples. That's where we get comforted and bear one another's burdens and get built up. Wendy and I have, um, you know, several, we each have several individuals that have been, are part of our ongoing lives and our spiritual walk. But we also have a handful of couples with whom we have shared life for a long period of time. And do you, because when you think about it, some people are like going, oh, you mean like get together in a small group and have a Bible study? Well, okay, that's one thing. But where we have found Christian community is really in around a table, having meals. And over those meals, you start sharing life. Because it doesn't happen all at once. It takes time. And over years, we've learned about each other's dysfunctional families. I shared about the failure of my first marriage and all the things that I had to go through and the things that God taught me through it. We share with each other our shortcomings the things that's going on in our lives, we support one another. There's, there's a group here in Pella, parents. They had a parents group. And all they said is, hey, we're, we're gonna pray for each other's kids. But over time, guess what happens? You not only pray for those kids, 
You live life with those people. <laughs> you learn each other's lives. That's a growing, intimate community. Wendy and I have a couple and as we, that we live life with, and we have actually acknowledged and said it together. If Wendy is ever concerned about me, but she doesn't want to talk to me about it, she has carte blanche to call my buddy, this other couple, and he will call me and say, what's going on? Likewise, if I'm concerned about Wendy, I can call her and she will call Wendy and address it with Wendy. We've talked that through, why? Because we're disciples of Christ. We want to be in that kind of a relationship with one another because that's how we grow. All right. And then finally, living witness. Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's the paradigm Jesus gave us. You follow me, follow my example, and then you turn around and you disciple somebody else. You be the example to somebody else. That's the only paradigm. Here's, hear me in this. The church as we know it, church programs, vacation Bible school, Sunday school, these are all wonderful things, but that was never the paradigm. The paradigm was always, you, <laughs> you have someone else disciple you and then you turn around and you disciple somebody else, one to one. That's the paradigm. Kevin shared with me that in prepping for this coming year that he had all the pastoral staff go out and say, talk to all your friends, your family, and churches all over uh, that you respect and ask them what they're doing to disciple people in their congregation. He said, nothing. Not one church was discipling their people. Too busy making believers. But that's not what Jesus wanted. So how do I become a disciple? A couple of action steps. Worship team can come up with this, we close. Journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So how can I take a single step today? Sign up for a class to actively deepen your knowledge of God's word. In the next week or two, the book's gonna come out for all the classes this fall. There's one called Bible Blueprint. If you're like a novice with this, go to Bible Blueprint. Brian and Pace and Vandaloon are gonna be teaching it. It's a great primer. All sorts of classes to teach you more about God's word. Talk to God. Here's a step for you. This week when you're alone, talk to God. <laughs> Recognize he's right there and talk to him, okay? Third, join a small group. Meet your small group after the service. Clayton told me that they're having to buy more and more cookies and lemonade and coffee because people in their small groups are saying, hey, we're at church anyway, let's just meet afterwards and talk. It's great. Build that community. Next. Sign up to serve downstairs with the youth on the, on the, right there on the clipboard. Sign up. Hey, I've been blessed that others have spoken into my life. You, go make a difference in a child's life. Go make a difference in a, in a youth member's life. Do something that way. Consciously think about and choose to live out what you say you believe at home, work, play, or school. Let me give you one example, and then I'm done. Our daughter Taylor lives in Edinburgh, Scotland. She uh, just gave birth to our second granddaughter, our second grandchild, granddaughter. And uh, she was part of this pregnant women's group, <laughs> all supporting one another in their pregnancies. Well, one of them had their baby, and Taylor 
said, oh, great. So she had put together a little basket with, you know, a little, uh, you know, bibs and, and bath salts for mom and little, little things. And she called and said, hey, I've got a little something for you. When can I drop it by? Said, and, and she had made a little casserole, you know, to, little, to feed mom and give them a break. And, and the woman told Taylor, no, don't come. No, no, we're fine. And Taylor's like going, well, but I already did it. So, so she shows up at the woman's house, knocks on the door and she opens up. And she goes, here's my little basket. Here's a little casserole for you. And she said, the woman just began to weep. And she said, I think this is the kindest thing that anybody's ever done for me. We don't do this in the UK. <laughs> Desire to action, and that stirs what? I want to do this more. So do something. Take a step, would you? God, bless your word. May it, yeah, may it uh, take root, germinate in our lives. In your name, amen.